who was it that talked about running in the storm? Great segue, thank you. Really appreciate it. We're going to talk about the storm tonight and what worship in the storm actually does in the purposes of God. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be together. And by the way, thanks for the way you carefully managing the COVID stuff. I know some people find it really hard to wear masks. I don't like them. But it's good to think of others. And uh, thank you for that. I'm also really aware tonight that the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen, reassure, reposition, repurpose, and re-engage. And in the process together, I'm hoping we can have just a couple of insights that might just help us move together as a church and as the church in the UK and the wider church into a developing future, an extending future. And to help us in that process, right at the end tonight, I'm going to leave you with a question which I want you to answer. Uh, You'll not be able to answer it tonight. It's a question I'm praying you can take away. It'll become like an earwig that buries itself and won't let you go until you begin to think of how you might answer it. It may just trigger, release and empower our own response as individuals and as a church in this very, very strange season. Now many of you this evening looking around have been faithful followers of Jesus for quite a while. Lovely to see you young men and women in the back row. Thank you for coming out tonight. Wonderful to see you. Some may be sceptical. Some may even be searching. There might be one or two in the room tonight. Not sure about Jesus. And the great news about Jesus is his love, his attention, his interest is unique. It's personal. It's individual. It's utterly authentic. He knows in detail all about the disappointments, the frustrations, the weariness of the past two years and how it's impacted you as individuals. All the concerns and challenges that you're facing right now maybe have faced to varying degrees over the past few years. And I want to start this evening by giving you a couple of words from Jesus himself that will sound the same as they enter your ears, but actually as they enter your hearts, they will do something different for each of you. And here are those words. I am with you. Peace, be still. I am with you. Peace, be still. Whatever your storm looks like, He is with you. Peace. Be still. Now, we're in a new world with new storms. And I'm not going to overburden you with this tonight, but I do want to introduce you to the storms that have been hidden by COVID, just in passing, by the way. Many of us are thinking, hoping we're coming out of the COVID storm. Mike Hollow's uh, chat with me just before we started reminded me actually COVID's not that big compared to what some other people in other countries are facing right now. We find it all consuming 
actually compared to what some others are going through, it's quite a small thing, but it impacts us big and that's where we are tonight. Uh, but some of us, probably most of us, have got some lurking suspicions that the COVID storm has not fully blown its course. And I want to suggest that the COVID storm is only one storm and it's not the only one, partly hidden by the immediacy, the priorities, the shocking impact of COVID. These other storms have been building almost imperceptibly. I simply want to highlight them, not to dwell on them tonight, but you are going to face these. And I don't get much opportunity to tell people this stuff. I want to tell you it so that it's not a shock when it comes. If some of this stuff is meaningless to you, it's fine. The rest of the talk will be fine for you. But this is important. We've got artificial intelligence, which is a profoundly developed phenomenon, both for good and for evil. Right now, as we sit here, some armies of the world are already using autonomous drones to decide who gets hit and when. We are looking at virtual juries, very close. And 90% of all the world's data ever has been produced in the last two years. We are talking about a staggering growth in artificial intelligence. Now, it does some wonderful things, by the way. Uh, then we've got climate change and global warming. And we've got the unique Greta Thunberg-David Attenborough axis. That's a teenage octogenarian axis. It's the first time in my life I've seen a prophetic sound with that in the mix. And it's not from the church. It will have increasingly... It's another storm. It's going to be disruptive... And it's going to produce all kinds of challenges for us. And then the aggressive LGBTQ agenda. Those of you in the back row have faced it like my own family in secondary school, in sixth form and in university. And its power right now is intense. We have some church families, our churches in Basingstoke right now where this issue is deeply distressing for families. We have... Our primary school children, it began in Kent, but in other counties, being encouraged to explore whether they feel more like a boy or a girl. This is our world. That is a storm, the ramifications of which we've barely even begun to think through. And pray for our young people, by the way. You want to be strong and you want to follow Christ this agenda is one of the biggest attacks our young people will get in their education process and in their social interaction. There are going to be economic tsunamis. As the support of various Western governments begins to dry up, we face national debts of staggering proportions. That on its own is not new. But you couple that with Brexit and the uncertainties and insecurities of that across UK and Europe... So much so that the World Economic Forum at Davos this year described it for the first time ever as the world in utter flux. We've not even begun to hear this on the news, really. It's not even being explored. It's a reality. It's another storm. And then a partisan spirit. You've seen it in this church. We've seen it in Basingstoke. I have seen it in American churches I've been working into for five decades. I have never seen it like I see it right now. In America, it's the Republican-Democrat issue. And we have had churches in our sort and like family, so churches I have uh, either been close to or worked with, 
who are asking, can we make it a stipulation that a sort and light church must vote Republican? That is a partisan spirit. You would not have even conceived that 18 months ago. And globally, you've got conspiracy theories, partly artificially intelligently driven, that feed people the news they want to hear, quote-unquote, and provide a world picture for them that they want to see, quote-unquote, that has driven conspiracies like the vaccine issues that we've had here in our churches in Basingstoke, and the end results of pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine are life-threatening. That's partisan spirit. We've seen it in this country with Brexit. We're about to see it unleashed with Scotland and Indyref too. But it's not just those issues. Something is going on that is partisan spirit fueled by social media, artificial intelligence being in the backdrop. And then a shift in the tectonic plates of world power so that you've got the USA losing power and authority but not really clocking it yet and China and Russia playing hardball along with others. Now, just one of these on its own could produce another big storm. Mixing them together, I want to suggest to us, is going to unleash a geopolitical storm, or tsunami probably, that in the coming years will begin to crash its waves on our shores. Now, this is not to make you afraid. I just want you to know that COVID is not the only thing we're facing. It's strength and immediacy has caused some of these things to be hidden, but trust me, they are there. Now, the good news is this, and I want to move on to good news. There is no quick fix. You haven't got to try and fix this stuff. God is still in control. His throne is still all-powerful, and uh, his will will be done on earth as it's being done right now in heaven. The sound from a few trusted prophetic sources at the beginning of COVID talked about three years or more. So we're probably just over the halfway mark in terms of the impact of the COVID storm. And that can be helpful so that we're not rushing to fix things and also being patient like James encourages us so that we give God and ourselves time to observe the new things that we've been promised will spring forth. And the answer, by the way, to how we're going to be church in the future is not imminently available to you or to me. It's a question. I love it that you've come tonight and let's keep staying engaged. Thank God you are engaged. But there will be no silver bullet coming out of COVID as far as what the church is going to look like is concerned. What you will see is a jigsaw. There will be multiple pieces, not masses of them, probably six or nine key pieces, which over time we will see them, we'll be able to put them in place, and it will begin to inform what church is moving towards. But let me give you this as a prophetic perspective, if I may. Uh, I saw this today. It is complete with some rather mixed metaphors. Do not just pick on the metaphor, please. Grasp the overall perception that I'm trying to share. I saw the body of Christ laid out on an operating table, anaesthetized, and it was essentially a wineskin. And this wineskin has been unstitched. That is where we are. The stitches have come out. It's laid on the operating table. We're anaesthetized so that uh, we're not totally or even partially aware of what's going on. It's like 
we're handling COVID, we're meeting together again, we're coming back together again, we're doing this and that, but there is a parallel reality that's invisible. What I'm describing is this parallel reality. That there is something happening from the surgeon where the wineskin has been unstitched and none of us know what shape or form it's going to be put back in, but I can tell you those stitches are out and it will will not go back in the same shape. What is coming is different. I can't tell you what it is. I'm going to give you one clue only tonight, one piece. But I'm going to give you a question which will help you individually and help us corporately begin to wait on God and see what shape might actually emerge. What I can tell you is it won't be going back to what we had before. So please don't hanker for that. It's not coming back as it was. A new wineskin is in the making. Now, all that being said, COVID, which is our current experience together, isn't it? If you like, is like the leading edge, the dominant feature of this complex weather system, this complex system of storms. And we'll all recall it. Suddenly, uninvited, unwanted and inconvenient, the COVID-19 storm, without so much as a by your leave, marches all the way from a previously unknown Chinese province, threatening to change and throttle our world and its ways. Like some malevolent, uninvited storm, breaking into our world, breaking up our normality, our Sunday show was over. Our entertainment, our travel, it's been a disruptor. We all know that. And its global impact, the global ramifications for health, economy, travel, lifestyle, are in scale and breadth, unlike anything our planet has experienced before. Now, I know I'm not telling you anything new, but it's helpful to recall these things because this storm has disrupted church as usual, disrupted church as we knew it, disrupted church priorities on a global scale. And it might just be, therefore, that he that has an ear in all this process will begin to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And two scriptures, which I hope are encouraging, have been front and center of my mind. Ephesians 3 talks about his intent was that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he established or accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 8.28, which every one of you can quote to me, we know that in all things, including COVID storms and the others that follow, God does what? He works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his what? Purpose. The embedded inference in that scripture is it's not just about when tough stuff happens, we can trust God to do good stuff. It's rather that through that bad stuff, God's purpose, forward-looking momentum is taking place. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So, back to today. The back end of the storm may be certainly towards the back end of the storm. There's an understandable longing to go back, as we said, to normal or new normal as some calls it. And I've tried to suggest already that normal as we knew it is a thing of the past. 
And it's in the nature of storms to break, to destroy and disrupt. It's in the nature of storms to turn the present upside down. And you'll not be surprised to learn that storms feature in Scripture fairly extensively. And when storms feature in Scripture, they by and large have these four ingredients. They bring something new. They bring something supernatural. They have a habit of changing perspective and repurposing things. They're an agent of disruptive change that sees the kingdom extended and brings about the will, the plan, and the purpose of God in fresh ways. In other words, there is something inherent in the storm itself which is essential to bringing about the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. I'm going to take you through four storms. There are plenty of them, but just four really quickly so you get a a kind of perspective as to how God works in Scripture through storms. Jonah's story you know well. Runs away, buys a ticket. In fact, some commentators think he chartered the entire boat just to get away from doing what God had asked him to do. God sends a storm. It is so severe, so destructive, it threatens to break up the ship. They cast weight overboard. They throw all sorts of things overboard to try and lighten the boat, get it higher up in the water. And eventually they start crying out to different gods. And at that point, interesting little insight in itself but at that point Jonah says actually guys it's me I am the issue here throw me overboard the storm will abate it's going to be fine and being good sailors as they are they don't want to throw a shipmate over and they try and rationalize with him and I'm thinking to myself Jonah for Pete's sake just jump overboard man it would be a lot quicker and the story could finish sooner but they throw him overboard and you know the story he gets swallowed by a great fish never says a whale by the way just a great fish. After three days he's vomited up. No one knows exactly where but the thinking is by and large he's probably vomited up close to Joppa and from Joppa to Nineveh which is where God's told him to speak is a journey of 550 miles. So the storm, the fish, that's quite something in its own in its own right if you like but here he's now got this 30 day odd journey after his experience of the storm in order for him to hear God, refine the message and get this thing right so that when he finally stands in Nineveh declaring God's will and God's way, something is released, something is empowered, an entire city, pagan, ruthlessly cruel city, is turned to God. Both the city and the nation were profoundly impacted by the outcome of a storm. The supernatural encounter in the middle of the storm. And by the way, a thread that we're going to see all the way through these four. An individual response out of the storm. The shockingly disruptive nature of that storm was the necessary catalyst as God's will and purpose was seen and accomplished in Nineveh. The next two storms are close together. And they're in uh, Matthew 14 and another chapter in Matthew. Jesus had a really interesting training program for his disciples, by the way. He called them names. It was really quite in your face, unpleasant. Called them names and exposed them to all kinds of things they didn't want to be exposed to. And here's one of those moments. He exposes them to a storm. It's like 
outward bound courses on steroids. And this furious storm comes up. Uh, Chapter 8 is this storm. The waves were sweeping over the boat, and it says in the text, little throwaway comment, Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. I don't know what your question is. My first question is, did it get wet? And the second question, the obvious one, is how could he sleep in a storm? I've just been in a storm with Dave Rebetz and my son Josh. Dave Rebetz was vomiting for nearly 12 hours. No one slept. You know, it doesn't happen. You don't sleep in a storm on a boat. Maybe he made the boat so he knew what it was capable of, so he was chilled out. Who knows? He was a carpenter after all. But whatever it is, the disciples wake him up and say, if you don't do something now, we're all going to drown. And his very calm, in-control response was, oh, you of little faith. He gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and there's instant calm. It's another disruptive storm that produces something supernatural, something totally new that has never happened before. And when the boat completes its short post-storm journey, they are faced with the Craig twins on steroids and new demons. Here are two people that are so full of demons, no one can ever pass them without getting overpowered and beaten up. And we see this remarkable deliverance where the demons ask Jesus for permission to enter a herd of pigs, and off they go into these pigs. The pigs go into the water and drown, and the entire city is now disrupted. The Messiah's identity is revealed, by the way, out of that storm. In the second of these two storms, Jesus spends the night praying on a mountain surrounded, or surrounding rather, a lake. The disciples are in the boat again. uh, And they're struggling in the storm. They're trying to row. And they're buffeted by the waves uh, and the wind. And again, the storm produces something new. In this case, dramatically new. Jesus walks on the water and he makes out as if he's going to go past them. Leave them at it. I mean, why does he do that? But he does it. And then they suddenly realize it's Jesus. And when they realize it's Jesus in the storm, Peter says, call me and I'll walk. And you know the story. Peter starts to walk, takes his eyes off Jesus in the storm and starts to sink. Jesus rescues him. But again, something new, something supernatural. And directly afterwards again, following this short post-storm journey, a new type of supernatural healing takes place, never been seen before, where all they had to do was touch the edge of Jesus' coat and get healed. Something new, something supernatural, and the kingdom of God extended. The fourth storm can be found in Acts 28. This is closer to home in some ways. Many of you will know the story. The apostle Paul is being transported to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar, the emperor. And there's this big discussion about trying to settle on a harbour so they could sit out the winter storms and they make a wrong decision. And they set out believing they got a favourable wind and as they were sailing south of the island of Crete, a hurricane called the North Easter swept down from the island and for 14 days they were stuck in this storm. They took desperate measures. They threw the cargo overboard. They ran ropes under the boat, tightened them up to hold the boat together. And on the third day, in what was a pretty desperate move, they threw all the ship's tackle overboard 
And when sun and moon had disappeared for many days, they gave up hope. Sounds a bit like COVID for some of us. Then in verse 23 of chapter 27, we get the supernatural. Paul says, last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. (laughs) Kind of good news, bad news. By the way, an interesting glimpse into angels, both in the Bible and in contemporary experience. They kind of trick you. They never give you the full picture. They just don't. They don't even tell you what the island's name is. It's just some island. And you're left with this incredible encounter with an angelic being, but desperately wishing they could have been a bit clearer with the instruction. Anyway, they do run aground on the 15th day. They saw a bay. They try and beach the ship. Unfortunately, they hit a sandbar. Everybody has to swim ashore, but they all get there. Now, in fact, we now know they've been shipwrecked onto the island of Malta. It's around 1,000 kilometres from Crete. That is a staggering geographical relocation. And because of the storm and the timing of it, they stayed three months on the island, seeing the kingdom extended in remarkable ways. The father of the chief official had dysentery. He's healed miraculously. And all the sick on the island come and they get healed. Now, think about this with me because I want you to see COVID in this light. This is a staggering outcome that was impossible and inconceivable before the storm. Paul probably didn't even know the island of Malta existed. The navigator quite likely didn't. And it's the storm itself that opens up the new, the relocation, the supernatural, and the kingdom of God extended. So I think we probably can agree that storms have a habit of disruption, yes, and turning the present normal upside down, yes. But in it and through it all, God himself is likely to speak, likely to do something new, not seen before, something supernatural. And from the varying responses associated with the storm, the kingdom gets extended in previously unexpected ways. And so then, into this context, it would be reasonable to expect that God would be speaking to our prophetic people in the COVID storm. That's a reasonable assumption. And the other storms yet to follow. And it's interesting, I've had the privilege of going through, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, 30 or 40 pages of prophetic words given through the sort and light family of churches in the last 18 months. But it's quite interesting. There are only two that really stand out as unequivocal, across the board, strategic, and for everyone. So good words there. Joy brought a great word about a jumbo jet. Do you remember that one 18 months ago, Joy? Joy, that was, that was a good word. But these two words, one from Tony Gray, one from Dave Richards, both received independently in December 2019 before COVID was even known about. And Tony's prophetic word comes from a passage in Isaiah chapter 43, which says this, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth, will you not perceive it? 
And I want to suggest the only piece of the jigsaw that I believe I've seen so far, I think, as I said, there are six or nine of them, and you've all seen it. In fact, it's happening tonight. The first piece of the jigsaw is online. What happened across the world, Anglican, Catholic, Salt and Light, anywhere you went, the smallest churches in the most rural communities of third world, as long as they had access to online, overnight we learnt that you didn't have to have a Sunday gathering for the full presence of God to turn up. Overnight we learnt how to do things through Zoom, through uh, prayer Zoom, through WhatsApp, through an increased use of SMS texting, a basic tool that we have, and YouTube and the like. And whilst the quality of what's been done, frankly, hopefully over time will get a lot better. You've done better than most, by the way, in this church. Thank God for Johnny Pratchett. <laughs> but regardless of the quality, and it has been, let me be kind, patchy, most churches around the world report this. Greater reach, greater engagement, and different bait for different fish. And online has been used to help in terms of access, reach, attraction, mission, ministry, training and discipleship and empowering many, John, please, into new function. Discovery Bible study model, or DBS. This is a model of studying the Bible, which is really aimed at people who are discovering faith, who are exploring faith, or who are new to faith. And we look at a passage of scripture and then ask some simple questions like, what does this passage say about God? What does it say about people? How are we going to put it into practice? And who can we share it with? And I've had the joy of just seeing people grow in their faith to discover faith, to discover more about Jesus through this process. And David asked me if I would use it with his readers for his book, All About Heaven. And so I've been running some taster sessions and then we've been looking at four passages right in the middle of it at the moment, but looking at four passages in the Gospel of Mark. And it's been a joy to run it with some people from the UK and some people from the US. There was a couple from the church in Whitney that were part of one session, along with a lady from the church in Bicester. And they were all encouraged, it seemed, using this, this, um, this method. In fact, the couple from Whitney were talking about wanting to run a discovery Bible study with some people around them. And that is the heart of it. It's a reproducible method of studying the Bible. Well, a big welcome to Rich Colbrook. Many of you will know Rich planted a church, Community Church Leeds. He's one of our very own E4 evangelists. How about that? But shock, horror, Rich has now gone online. <laughs> Why on earth have you gone online? Uh, well, we were forced, to be honest, to begin with in the first lockdown where everything was on Zoom. But we found things were just way more accessible for people, especially Alpha. The Alpha Course Introduction to Christianity, so much more accessible uh, online uh, for people that didn't have to find babysitters. Uh, and we've got we had a guy who connected with us uh, on Zoom Church, who is a carer to his elderly mum. He couldn't come on a Sunday morning because uh, he's looking after his mum. And then he heard about Alpha, uh, came on Alpha. And, and I remember we got to the Holy Spirit sessions and you pray. For the Holy Spirit to come and we're doing it for the first time on Zoom so you've got these screens in front of you everybody there 
uh, in their own uh, front uh, lounges or whatever, uh, and you're praying, come Holy Spirit. And I must admit, I had one eye open like this, looking, you know, uh, what, what's going to happen? Please, Holy Spirit, you've got to come. Uh, and this guy, sitting in a very dark room on his own, goes back in his chair, and he's out, slain in the Spirit, 15 minutes. And a few weeks before, he'd said that he knew that Jesus was knocking at his door, and occasionally he would peer around and have a look at him and then close the door again. And uh, when he eventually came around, he said, did you see the light in my room? Well, we didn't. It would just look dark to us. He said, he said, Jesus just came. He said, he's knocked on my door and I've opened the door to him tonight. Different fish, different bait. And you mentioned this guy that you prayed for and he got met by Jesus in his room. Didn't you tell me off camera that you'd been trying to get through to him for five years, but the online connected you? Yeah, absolutely. Five years going absolutely nowhere. We ran a curry club together. We did all sorts together. And every time God came up in the conversation, uh, the conversation would die. Uh, and then we go on to Zoom and he connects. I want to ask you this question, if I may. Uh, and it's this. What could you do online? And I'm not just talking about what we're doing tonight, which is Sunday church gathering online. Every church is doing that. That's not what we're talking about. There's a whole raft of possibilities. It's interesting to me. So 25 years we've lived in our current house. I've never, ever managed to get any of our neighbours interested in anything we're doing in the church. Never. Same with all my work colleagues. During lockdown, I sent them a text. I said, Jill and I are doing a TV interview on grief. It's online. You can watch it any time you want. Thought you might be interested. Two neighbours watched that interview. One came over to tell us how it had impacted him. Several work colleagues. All it took was a text and a link to an online little piece of recording. Uh, Faith Ministries in Zimbabwe. And I was thinking, Gary and John, you guys, I want to encourage you to think about this. But this guy in Zimbabwe, our sister churches, they have apostolic spheres like we do in the Salt and Light family. But one of their spheres is a virtual church. And Chris Mazzozo, you see his name up on screen, he heads up the virtual church. And in every church service in Zimbabwe, they make it social media friendly. So they actually stop in the Sunday gatherings and they get people to share. They give them links to share. They give them templates they can use to share so that there is this astounding reach, which every, I mean, every one of you in this room probably has got some access to Facebook or texting or Instagram or whatever it is, it's another way without any work or any real exposure to multiply what God is doing amongst us. But I want to encourage you to think beyond that. I want you to think about intentional prayer that develops online. What about training programs? We've seen online DBS. We've seen online Alpha. By the way, I, I was at Hub Church this afternoon, front row. I forget the girl's name. I think it might be Brianna and Harry, her boyfriend, they came to Christ through online DBS in the last 12 months, sat in the Hub Church this morning. Now, this is not to replace gathering. Never. It's a complementary, increasing reach medium that enables us. The, the Hub Church online is pretty poor, to be honest. I have to say, don't tell them I told you, but yours is quite a bit better. But they've got people in India and Africa 
We've had someone from Russia engaged. You have no idea what this reach can be. So I want to encourage you to think, think as church leaders, maybe task one or two to give it some broad thought. I've got a paper on it, Gary, with loads of ideas. I can get it to you. But as individuals, think about what link could I send to someone? What text could I send with a link to a little YouTube clip that might just be interesting to them? So not to replace gathering, but one jigsaw in the mix. Something new that sprung forth that none of us knew we could all do it. And we've done it. And then Dave, by the way, we are going to see a generational change here. All the, all the data I've seen, Anglican Church Survey, Australian churches who are roughly six months ahead of us in COVID experience they all suggest that around 25% of every congregation will choose to engage primarily online. That's a big challenge, but that's the reality. We may have to learn to adapt to what that means. There will be a cohort who come out of lockdown who found something new and really helpful online. All right. Dave Richards' word slightly different but similar and the difference is helpful from now on I will tell you of new things hidden things unknown to you unknown to you they are created now not long ago you have not heard of them before today so you cannot say yes I know them that is the wineskin unstitched laying on the operating table with the anaesthetic applied Now, this prophecy refers to new things created now that you've never heard of them. And it's interesting, the metaphors in Isaiah, which precede these two words, are helpful. New things, a new way, a highway springing forth, bursting into bloom. Call out for me, what what is the common thread with these things? Or what is a common thread? Anybody? Move. Move. The one thing it isn't is going back. It's positive travel, it's forward momentum, it's springing forth and it's blooming. And in fact, it's even stronger, even more pertinent than that. I wanted to ask you teachers, David, I don't know if you still do the teaching, but whoever does, would you consider teaching out of Isaiah, not in some abstract theological uh, manner, but in some down-to-earth, forward-looking, return-from-exile, helpful teaching that will prepare us for springing forth new ways, highways, bursting into bloom. And Mike, and anybody else that does poetry, how about getting into Isaiah and giving us some poetry that helps us as we begin to face these things together? Now, the very desert we are in then, we have said, the very unchosen, unwelcome and unpleasant experiences as they may feel. I want to suggest, as I bring this thing to land now, are the very soil and the mixture of ingredients out of which new life can, will and must emerge. And that's one of the thrusts, the pragmatic, practical application thrusts in Isaiah. And in this context, I want to start this last little bit of the talk by picking up a prophetic thread I heard from a church leader called Sim Dandy. And this season, he says, is a comma, not a full stop. 
And he says sometimes we can feel almost as if our own world, our church world, our individual world has been buried by COVID. But what if we are not buried but planted? Let that sink in for a minute. The feeling is the same, but the purpose and the resultant outcome are worlds apart. Now, there is a phenomenon called superbloom, which literally happens overnight. New life springs forth from the most arid desert-like areas. I've given you two pictures from Southern California, but it happens in other places. Once every 10 years, very roughly, in Southern California, you get this. What you see on the screen literally comes out overnight from desert areas when the conditions are right. It's a profusion of wild flowers, so vast, by the way, that they cover hundreds of square miles, so vast, by the way, that it's easily visible from space. And I think Isaiah had something similar etched into his poetic mind. There can be no super bloom, by definition, without the desert in which the new life lies buried, all of which brings me to the final thought, my final question, and I hope, a final helpful challenge. Many of you will know that our family faced the most shocking of storms. My best friend, my eldest son, Joel, died on 20th of December 2018 after an unexpected, brutally tortuous battle with cancer. Our entire family moved into the James Cook Hospital in Newcastle, literally moved into the hospital 24-7 for weeks to care for him end of life. But as he drew his last breath, and we all said our last goodbyes, and we had the last holding of hands, I laid my head against his still warm beard. And as I did so, a host of questions began to form in my mind. And in the days that followed, those questions, of course, began to reshape and reform into different levels of clarity. The most common question in any turbulent storm that disrupts me is what? Why? It's a totally valid question, by the way. It's legitimate. It almost never gets answered. Doesn't make it wrong. It's a valid question. But there's a much better question, one that nearly always gets answered, and that question is, what for? And over the weeks that followed Joel's death, with the stinging, relentless emptiness and pain, that there was this nagging, singular question that I'd begun to ask from watching... Joel's last breath leave his body. Where is he now? What exactly is he doing? What precisely is he able to do there? And how come as a church leader of 40 years, I don't know. And those questions began for me to fuse with the what for question. And the what for question developed into one more iteration that was even more helpful. And it was this. What can I do now that I couldn't do before? What should I do now that I would never have contemplated doing before? And out of that, in just this one small illustration, that's all it is, I began to research on heaven. 
I'm a book writer. That's what I do amongst other things. I'm a pretty poor book writer. You can ask my editor, Mike Hollow. But it appears that in the end, something useful gets put in black ink on white paper. I began to research on heaven and then wrote a book called All About Heaven. We started planning to do some evening events. The very first one was in this room. Some of you were there. And since that evening, roughly 10,000, slightly over 10,000 copies of that book have now been purchased. That was one question. A disruptive storm that extends the will, the plans and the purpose of God. It doesn't answer the why. It's not remotely connected with the why. But here's what I want to finish with, my last slide and my last few sentences. The problem with the why question is this. It's all about me. It's all about what has this done to me? What is this pain causing to me? What is the impact upon me? The what for question has got nothing to do with its impact on you. It has to do with what's in you for it. What's in you for the kingdom of God? What's in you out of the storms we are going through that can bring life, can bring truth, can bring insight, can bring change, can extend the kingdom of God? And if I do have a concern at the back end of COVID for our churches, It's the remarkably strong Christian instinct to go back to what we always knew. And the what for question may be iterated for you into what can I do now that I wouldn't have done before? Might just stand a chance of motivating and mobilizing us so that together we can find the other pieces of the jigsaw both as individuals and as a church, and together discover what this new wineskin is stitching, wonderful as I'm sure it's going to be, life-changing, life-impacting, globally far-reaching, as I'm sure it will be, might become clearer. So I want to encourage you then as I finish, can we turn this storm challenge into a quest that allows us to see something new that touches the supernatural and extends the kingdom, but it starts with my response and my responsibility, which is, all right then God, what for? What for in my life and what for as a church? My conviction is this, this season has not been a burial that is going to result in the church's decay. My conviction is, this is a planting which is essential to germination. You can't have the germination by and large without some form of planting. So if God indeed has allowed us not to be buried, but even though it feels very similar, he has sovereignly planted us as a church and each one of us individually in this chaotic, complex COVID storm and the other storms that are still there in the background. Maybe then I could ask you this week at every mealtime and at every prayer time to just dare to ask God what for. To say to God, okay, I get this. I don't like what's going on and if you've got frustrations and pains and disappointments and financial challenges, whatever it is, you dump them on him as well. But in all that, say, all right, God, 
I'm here and I want to know the answer to the what for. What is it that's in me that COVID planting germination process can cause to see his kingdom extended and his church reshaped and reformed? Maybe we could feel even now that amazing, breathtaking, breaking out sensation of germination where the new shoot begins to push through the soil, ultimately producing the super bloom. So this week, can I challenge you, please? Every prayer time, every meal time, begin to ask the what for. What for? 